your question to the appropriate person. Also, follow us on our website, churchatbriargate.org, and stay connected with us on social media. Have a great week. Good morning. Everybody looks nice today. So, uh, I, I do look nice today, thank you. So, uh, so obviously you know uh, we didn't have our business meeting. That storm was crazy, wasn't it? So, I've been in Colorado since 96. About 2001, 2002, I was up in Denver, and we did have a pretty big storm at that time. But the, the last time I remember a storm like that was 97. You guys remember that one in 97, like shut down the whole state? That one was crazy. But we actually had more snow in the 97 one. But, <clears throat> yeah, so... Uh, I kept praying the whole time, God, just please just protect people. Just take care of them. Just keep them alive. I mean, there was, those kind of storms can, can kill people. They really can. And so, but um, yeah, we finally got through it all. Everybody's good. Uh, the, the, our guys are in India right now. There's a few things. There are really some really cool things that are happening right now with this. So um, <clears throat> we've been trying to get our, our two pastors, we've been trying to get their addresses and stuff switched from their hometowns to, to Ramparhut which is not that easy under the circumstances and settings of India, and also because of how much they know what to do or whatever. And so we've been trying for literally a year to get this done. And we haven't been able to get their motorcycle for them because they have to have a local address to be able to do that. And so while they were here, the, the, while Jerry and Noor are there this last week, uh, Noor's niece, Anita, went and just basically took the guys, took everybody to the bank and sat there at the bank until they got this done. And I just kept working, and I kept working, literally took half a day to, to, or more to do this. And I guess they were more scared of a vocal woman than they were for men. But uh, they got it done, and they got their addresses now. And they, we, Jerry and Nur think that uh, there shouldn't be any problem actually getting the motorcycle this week in the next couple of days. And so before, before they take off, we'll have the motorcycle for them, and, uh, and they'll be mobile. And that's the biggest thing is just being able to, they can get to the communities, villages around Ramper Hut, uh, over to see their mentor that we've developed for them, uh, Bashir. He's a couple hours away, maybe an hour and a half. The, 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 having the motorcycle is, is going to be huge uh, for them to be able to do all that. So we're pretty excited about that. Uh, they also, while they were there, <clears throat> Jerry got to talk to the Assemblies of God in Calcutta, Kind of the Calcutta, and the way India works, Calcutta is like the epicenter of all things a church and all things specifically Assembly of God. That's and, and rightfully so. That's where the bun, um, the uh, Buntains were and all that kind of stuff. So when we first began to present this idea and do this church mentality up in Rampart, we really got some resistance from the Assemblies of God in this, which was really discouraging because there's no reason to. Um, but but that was the case. And so as as it progressed a little bit further, we just kind of pulled back and started doing our own thing. And, uh, and now uh, Jerry was talking with them this week, and they are um, willing to let our pastors meet with their, like the section or, or district uh, mentor groups and, and pastors and things like that, and like um, uh, every couple of weeks meeting and things like that. So, so we were, we're pretty excited about that. Our pastors need this. I mean, these two guys are young guys. They're trying to do this by themselves. They've had Bible school, but this is a big endeavor, and, and, uh, and it's such a far way from Calcutta, it's a four-hour train ride if, if, if everything works well. If somebody doesn't want to let, get off to let their donkey take a break, I, I mean, literally, I've seen that happen. So it can turn into a six-hour train ride. But this is good. We're excited about this. Our pastors are getting to connect. We think we've got this paperwork done. We've also had four donations given to Harvestville Corners from within India that's, that's adding up to quite a bit of money. <clears throat> These are larger donations. The reason that's important is we're still trying to get this ability to transfer foreign funds into India, and, uh, and India just really is resisting this right now. They don't want any Christian organizations there and doing things, and so, so this, is, um, this has been good, too, because that's the next step of paperwork that we need to get to be able to accomplish that. So things are going very well. I'm very excited. I wish I was there with them, except that it's already 100 degrees in India. Um, and, you know, it's because it's spring, <laughs> so it's going to get hot later on in the summer. But um, I, I do wish I was there. It's just exciting. It's exciting to see this stuff. It's exciting to be with our two guys. One of the things also I think has been pretty interesting, one of the, one of the guys we've been working on, he's our, he's our builder. He built the house. Everything's finished now. They're working on the top floor plans, um, finishing those up to, to start that. I mean, they've already started some things, but uh, the, what's that's going to look like? Well, John Keir, he's a Muslim. He has been getting closer and closer to, to, to Jesus through this whole thing. He started coming to 
the Bible study that our two pastors have um, at the house that he built. And, uh, and he's a Muslim, and he comes and he sits down with him, talks to him about Jesus and all this kind of stuff. And then he invited Nur and Jerry over to the house for dinner a couple days ago. And, uh, you know, Jerry and Nur are not just going to pretend like they're not going to talk about Jesus. And, uh, and so it's just exciting. It's, it's fun to watch this stuff. These guys, are lives are being changed, and guys are starting to get saved. And, and that's what we've been praying for. That's what we've been praying for. This church has been praying for this long before I got here. And it's exciting to see this happening now. So, so yeah, exciting stuff. Um, also, people keep asking me about um, this, this uh, bubble on the wall. I was here Wednesday morning during the storm. I watched that start working its way down. So people are saying, well, what about this? Why does this keep happening? We, I thought we got a new roof two or three years ago, and, and what are we going to do about this? And all kind of stuff. So here's my answer to that. What bubble? All right, so <clears throat> let's, let's, let's just move on. Uh, I do want to mention that uh, we are going to have uh, John Hajak's memorial service here the 28th, uh, Thursday at 2 o'clock, 28th. This is, um, this is, obviously it's open to anybody, everybody. We want anybody that wants to be here to be here. We're going to have some food and stuff afterwards uh, just to be able to connect with the family and, and uh, let Diane know that we're here for her and support her. And, and uh, many of you have been asking what can you do and help and all this, and, and we'll let you know, but we, you can definitely, if you want to help with the service or the food or so, just call here to the church and we'll, we'll make sure that we take care of this. We definitely don't want uh, Diane or the girls doing any of this. We, we'll take care of this. So um, we, we obviously already miss John quite a bit, but, but again... I know this sounds cliche sometimes, but we, we know that John is with Jesus. Scripture tells us that. He's with Jesus. It's, it's not like he's on his way. It's not like he's hanging out in a ski resort called Purgatory. He is with Jesus. He is right now with Jesus. And there's, a, there's an amazingness. There's a hope that comes along with that. Um, but at the same time, there's still the family's still here. And, uh, and so be thinking about that, um, how you can jump in and help, those kind of things. And, and I think Diane's still getting food at the house and stuff. Do you, it, well, I won't say anything, but I'll probably mess up something. If I say something, talk to the office. Call the office and talk to them, and she's arranged with Diane or whatever there. So, um, <clears throat> All right, I want to I jump into this. This is, I'm continuing with this uh, family circus, and a couple weeks ago I talked about marriage, some of these things, and, and this, this morning I want to talk about family. And again, I'm going to talk about it from a little different perspective than just, hey, here's some good uh, family things or points or whatever. I want to talk about a big picture kind of mentality of what family is. And this is, this is um, the, the title of this, the, the urgency of now. And I, and I do think this is a critical subject. I'm going to, I'm going to push a lot of um, buttons this morning with this. But I do think there's an important thing that comes along with understanding a, a biblical mentality of family and then taking the responsibility for this mentality of family. This, when I say the urgency of now, I, I'm actually... There's a little bit of a conundrum with me with this because I believe that the urgency was 20 or 30 years ago and we missed it. I believe the church has missed a lot of opportunities along the way to do some things and to be the church in the way that it was supposed to be. And while I don't know exactly how to go back and fix some of that, um, if, I, you know, if I had a time machine or something, I don't know for sure. If, if I, I think I got some ideas. But one of the things that we do know is that where society has come to today, I, I believe you've got to lay some of that at the feet of the church. The church is not taking the responsibility of who we're supposed to be. And again, you're going to hear this constantly with me. This has been building in me for about 10 years now. But I really believe that the main reason that we're struggling with some of these kind of things is because the church in America over the last 20 to 30 years has been more about a, a local pastor building his local church than actually building the kingdom of God. And it became more important that we build um, churches and megachurches and legacies to these great personalities of Christianity instead of really being concerned about the bigger picture of the kingdom. One of the ways I know that that's a case is most pastors I know are more comfortable, are, are very comfortable with their churches growing even if nobody's getting saved. Well, that means, that means the kingdom of God's not growing. We're just, people are just moving around from church to church kind of thing. Or some people, and this is, this is a major context in today's society. It would not have existed when I was a kid. Is There's a lot of people that go to church just because it's kind of cool. It's what you do. Your friends are going. It's going to be a good concert. It's probably going to be some smoke machines. You're probably going to be able to get a latte in the foyer. There's, it's why not go? But there's not this transformation that's going, this, this salvation. I am a lost sinner on my way to hell, and Jesus is saving me from that kind of mentality, this this, this transformation that, that should be involved in this. 
And so some of this is at the feet of the church. What does it mean to, to, for us to have addressed some of these issues over the years and really stood up and been not overly legalistic, which is where the church got caught up in sometimes, but loving and, and stern with this, that yes, these things are sin. This is what truth is. We're not compromising on this. We're not compromising. We're going to do the right thing at the right time. And so, so in looking at this, I talked about this a, a couple weeks ago with marriage, and really looking at marriage being the foundation of, of society and God's, God's um, um, his hand into society, how he does things in society is, is laid out through marriage. Understand commitment and all those kind of things are laid out through marriage. I want to I kind of go down that same trail, but I want to look at it in the bigger picture of, of uh, what family means. Family is much more than just uh, procreation. It's, 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 uh, it's a bigger subject than that. There's a lot that's involved with family, and I believe that family is the foundation of society. That the reason that society... Um, uh, uh, captures and, and maintains any kind of vestige of morality and all these other kind of things is through family. It's not through, and again, this is not a uh, picking on single people or specifically, you know, the younger generations before they get married, that kind of thing. It, but the reality is when you get married, things change, okay? Now, if you tell somebody before they're married that that's going to be the case, they don't understand it. But marriage changes you. You begin to look and think about things differently. Uh, as I was talking about marriage a couple weeks ago, you start thinking less selfish, or, or it potentially forces that mentality upon your world, right? Well, family does this in a bigger sense, right? When you tell, you tell a married couple before they have children, when, when you have children, things change. In their head, they think, well, I'm going to sleep less and have less time to do fun things. That's not what changes the most. What changes the most is you, you have a child, you're different. Things about you, your priorities are different. Everything about you is different. I've been watching this, and, I, and I'm, I'm enjoying this on a lot of levels. But one of these ways I'm enjoying this is kind of in a little selfish mentality. As, as my oldest son, he's married, now he has a child. He's saying things that I said to him forever, and now he's saying them back to me like vehemently. Like, this is the deal. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. He was at this little dance contest with, the, with these kids in his children's church, and he immediately was telling his wife on the way home, oh, my, our daughter's not going to get in dance. There's way too much hip moving. I'm like, who is this child? This child didn't care about that kind of stuff. What changed? He had a little girl. That's what changed. All of a sudden, life is now different. He's looking at things like boys differently now. Why? Because he has a girl. It changes you. It changes your thinking. He's even talking about how he's teaching certain things in the children's church and all this, and you can tell the, the mentality is because he has a child now. These things are more important to him now. Life, life does that to you, specifically when family starts happening, there's certain things that begin to change along the way. I was sitting there this, uh, I was in my office this week, and uh, I was looking at, I was listening to a, uh, a video a clip of something. I listened to it a little bit more again this morning to kind of refresh it in my head. There's this girl named Candace Owens, and she is a, um, she's a conservative, about 30 years old, uh, black lady, very, very strong conservative. And she's started to make some, she's, she, she was doing a blog, and she, she does a bunch of things. And PragerU has now hired her to do uh, videos um, on PragerU about conservatism and things like that. And uh, she gets, she gets uh, attacked. She gets attacked predominantly from the black community. She gets attacked for being a conservative. And she was interviewing a guy this week named Paris Denard, and he is a conservative black man, uh, mid-30s, late-30s. He was actually part of the uh, <clears throat> uh, Bush administration as a young intern, and then he became, uh, put, took some roles and some things like that. And she's interviewing him, and they're talking about this. And this is something I've always known, I've always believed, uh, I, I, I lived at different times in my life. I lived in, in very predominantly black communities, and I, and I know some of this as just an, it's intuitive to me. But they were talking about this together, and she said, it's interesting that in the black community, in the black family, that they, that they are very conservative. They raise their children conservative. They think conservative. They, they make their kids go to church. They make their kids be respectful. All these different things. And they said, they were talking about all this list of stuff. And, the, and then she began, and, and uh, Paris Denard was talking about some of this back and forth. And they, and they were saying that something like abortion is, is looked at horribly within the black community. But then she said, this is the sad part, is 
these same groups of people, predominantly in the 95 percentile, vote for people that are pro-abortion. They're extremely, extremely politically liberal, which means you're voting for things that go directly against your family, your, your culture, everything. So they were discussing this back and forth, and they said the reason is because society has been lying to us, and the liberals have been lying to us for so long, and we just buy it. Guys, this is, this is where I'm going with this. I believe that we've done that in every set, set in, in culture. It may not play out politically the same, but we, we buy into different mentalities. doesn't matter what's, what culture, subculture, or, or skin color, or anything else that you are, we buy certain lies, we buy certain stuff, and we, and we, and we attach ourselves to that kind of thing. And the reason I named this the urgency of now is because I think there has to come a time when the church has got to stop playing the game and really be the church. The reason that, that, that our society is sliding down a hill so horribly morally is because we've been playing the game along with, and we shouldn't be. The church should be different. The church should act different, talk different, be different. We should look more like Jesus and less like whatever option is out there. And some of the things they were talking about in the interview was that, that, um, <clears throat> that certain, like Hollywood and, and uh, music and all these things that speak into, now they're talking specifically about the black community, but I, think, I don't think you can limit everything they were saying. I'm like, this is the church in America. You're not just looking at a, at a, at a, at a specific um, subculture. You're looking at what I believe to be the culture of America, which is we're buying into whoever's telling us stuff, whatever lie they tell us, we buy into it and we go along with it. Or even if we don't go along with it in our hearts, and this is what their argument is, we may not go along with our hearts, but we're not allowed to say anything different. We'll be persecuted, attacked, whatever, and so we just go along. And that's, we've, we've got to stop doing that. The, the way that you change society is predominantly through the family. It's not through the church. The church should be a, 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 a reinforcement to the family. I, I used to get this all the time when I was a youth pastor. Of course, it was a long time ago. But I would have parents come up to me and complain to me. <clears throat> well, my kid was out there drinking. What kind of youth pastor are you? What? I get them for an hour to an hour and a half a week. If they're there every single week, they live in your house. You think this is my issue? Really? We're not changing the world through the church. The church are people that are part of the body of Christ that change the world. The church is just the, the development, the teaching, the helping, the reinforcement. And anytime any parent came up to me and said anything about alcohol, I always ask them the same thing. They're, My teenager goes out at some party drinking, is 15 years old. Do you have any alcohol in your house? If the answer to that is yes, shut up. I'm not talking to you about this subject. How dare you be that hypocritical? Don't, don't play that game. But we, we do this where it's, it's got to be somebody. It's got to be this. It's got to be the school. We give the responsibility to the school for our children. And then when the school makes bad decisions, we get upset. How dare they do this? What, are you letting them be the one to raise your child? Hillary Clinton said this during Bill Clinton's administration. She said it takes a village to raise a child. That is not true. Stop thinking like that. I've heard Christians say this. I've heard national preachers say stuff like that. It is not true. It is the family's responsibility to raise a child. And most of the time, that's in conflict with the village. You've got to be in direct conflict. Sometimes it is not the village's responsibility. It's not the school. It's not the government. It's not the Boy Scouts. It's not any group. It is you as the family. The family raises the child. All those other things should be potentially positive reinforcement. Sometimes there's not, and you've got to be on top of this enough to know when it's not. Judges, chapter 6. That night the Lord God said to Gideon, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. I love the fact that God picks out a specific bull. You think God's not a detailed God? You think he's not concerned about the... I, I get this constantly with people that think that God's will is just kind of this uh, ambiguous thing and you just kind of do what you want and God will bless it or not bless it or whatever. But God doesn't have a specific plan for you. You cannot back that up in Scripture. God literally told people exactly what city to go to. He told them what step to take. He told them who to marry. He told them every detailed thing. To think that God is not a detail-oriented God, just look at creation. You are a detailed, detailed, 
designed person. To think that somehow God just, like, maybe just kind of dis, 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 distant from us and you just do what you want. Come on. He's way too big for that. That's disrespectful to him first. And secondly, he's way too invested in you. He's way invested in you. You've got to know he's got details. He tells him exactly which bull to pull out for this specific endeavor. He said, pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Now, a little bit of history about this. If you go back and read the beginning of the story of Gideon, Gideon was hiding in the, in the wine press, right? And God says, you're a great man of valor. And, but the reason he was hiding is because all these um, uh, uh, neighboring people groups were coming in and, and attacking, taking their, their crops when they had the crops ready. They were taking their, their uh, women and raping them, all this kind of pillaging, all kinds of stuff going on. And Gideon comes, God comes to Gideon and says, Gideon, you're going to rescue my people. So if we're not careful, what we assume is that God's people are, are you know, serving him and doing all this kind of stuff. But that's not the case. The reason that they were open to all of this outside pillaging and raping and all this other kind of stuff is because they had pushed so God so far away, God was not protecting them anymore. It's not because that wasn't God's heart. It's because they had left him. Look what he says. He says, Gideon, you go and tear down your father's altar to Baal. One of the first things we have to do sometimes in our, in our households is to really say, who are we as a household? Who are, what, who are we serving? Who's God over our life? What is our priorities? What's, what is our direction? Are we truly serving God? And he said, you tear down your father's altar. Don't, don't point out there to society. Don't point to Washington. Don't point to the school teachers. Don't point to the, this house bill 1032 until you have torn down your personal altars in your life, got your life right with God and serving God the way you're supposed to. Then you have every right to point at this other stuff. But how dare we as Christians point at this House Bill 1032 and, and not be taking care of the stuff going on in our own household? Let, 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 me, let me put it in a few sentences and make it simple what I'm trying to say. We know that this bill is tearing apart households and it's teaching um, the LGBT mentality is, is not only acceptable, it's, it's pretty much mandated by the, by the law. And that uh, gender shaming, you know, parents can get in trouble with social services now for gender shaming. Teachers can get fired for gender shaming. In other words, um, if this bill fi finalizes. Um, in other words, if, if there's a boy and he says, I want to be a girl, if a, if a teacher calls him a boy, her job can be in jeopardy because of that. All right? Now, that's the law and we're against it. Church again. Yeah, we shouldn't. Okay. I've talked about it enough over the last few weeks. But here's the problem that I have. How dare we as parents, teachers, or anybody else as Christians be upset about that if we're not having these conversations at home with our own kids. This has always been my deal about people that are so upset that you're not allowed to have prayer in schools. I will listen to that argument with somebody that's having prayer with their children every single day. But don't not have prayer with your children and get upset at the school because they're not letting kids pray. That's, that is the height of hypocrisy. And I don't think God honors that kind of mentality. And, 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 and here's the other side. You're never going to affect something on the outside until you've changed the stuff on the inside. You're never going to be effective changing the schools or the laws or anything else until your household is doing what it's supposed to be doing. That's the concept of, of the importance of the family. We've got to make sure that he says you tear down, those, those, you tear your, down your dad's altars first. Tear that down First, then build the altar of the Lord your God. You don't, just, you don't just tear down the stuff, but now you've got to do something else. He says, you build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the Lord, uh, on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. Now, there's a lot of spiritual, but I just like that in an attitudinal way first. God said, cut down the Asherah pole, use that as the firewood. I, I really like that mentality. Because God's got an edge to him about that kind of stuff. The spiritual side, though, is, is not only are you tearing that down, but you're burning it up. There's not going to be an astral pole left later you can go put back up. That's the bigger picture there. You can't go rebuild that astral pole. You just burn it up under the dripping fat of the altar to God of the bull that's being burned. I, I just I love that imagery. So he says, So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded, but he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. Twenty-something years ago, when I first began to see this, and I would speak about these, this story and some other stories, I'd always say, well, you know, in the, in the church we're supposed to stand up and be bold in the broad daylight and stuff like that. And I do, 
I do still strongly think that way and believe that way, but I also know, and I've seen this in other countries around the world, where sometimes you can't do things in the broad daylight because, because society is so messed up. Sometimes you do have to be you know, wise as a, as a serpent, gentle as a dove kind of mentality. And, and I'm leaning more nowadays toward we're going to have to be, the farther our country goes this direction, we're going to have to be a little more covert about some things because we're just not going to have the opportunity to do this publicly. I believe one of the coolest things you can do in today's society is get involved in things like politics and, and, and school administration and stuff like that. I had somebody say this to me just about a year ago. They were talking about, in fact, I got a phone call um, from the school district, uh, whatever district we're in, 49. I got a uh, phone call from the school district said, hey, would you be interested in, um, in uh, uh, running for school board? And I said, ah! <laughs> okay. Uh, so, I grew up in education. My dad was a superintendent. My mom was a principal slash teacher. Uh, I know that. I know that machine. I know it better than most teachers know it after 20 years. I know that machine. It scared me a little bit. But, but I did have somebody say to me later, how often could you say something against it until you actually get in and try to change it? There's some legitimacy there. There's only so much you can mouth until you either shut up or put up. Do something. I'm still not running for board. That's not has nothing to do with what I... I'm, I rebuke that, but you know what I'm, so just whatever. So let's, uh, let's move on. <laughs> All right, early the next morning, as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and that the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In their place, a new altar had been built, and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. It's interesting, they didn't see that burning and smell it. I would have woke up in the middle of the night. All right. The people said to each other, who did this? You know, this is an interesting sentence. The people said to each other, who did this? They didn't say, what is this? They didn't say, what is this about? What is this strange thing that's going on? Because they all knew what it was. Every one of them knew. They knew what it was to sacrifice an animal to God and put God first and to build an altar. Every one of them had done this before. They didn't been involved in this. But it got to a place now where they're saying, wait. It's not a matter of the fact that we love Baal more than we love God or Asherah more than we love God. We're, we, who, who has the audacity to, to mix this up and put God back in the place of prominence? Who did this? And then it gets even worse. And after searching or asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon. In other words, one of the ten people he took with him ratted him out. Which, by the way, is going to happen, okay? It's just a little side note to think about this, but... You're going to have people that you very much care about, even people within the church, that when you really do what God has told you to do, they're going to pick on you. They're going to see you as some kind of fanatic or something else. It's amazing to me how much of the church, and this is something that Keith King and I have been talking about the last couple of weeks, how many church leaders, pastors, and everything else have been up supporting this House Bill 1032. That is mind-boggling to me. How can a Christian say that it is the responsibility of the school to teach that homosexuality is as vital or better an idea than abstinence or heterosexuality. It makes no sense. you got church leaders saying, no, this is where we need to go, this is what we need to do. Same thing with abortion. you got church leaders. When they signed that bill in New York and everybody was there cheering, there were church leaders standing there clapping and cheering along with that. And, and guys, I don't know how to say this in a nice way, those people will go to hell for that mentality. You cannot be behind murdering babies and think that you're on Jesus' side. That's never, ever going to happen. And the church has got to do a better job of verbalizing this in such a way that we're not just tearing apart the person, but we're saying this is, this is I'll give you one of the best ways to discuss abortion is when people say, well, this is the right of the woman over her own body. You're right. That I have no problem being a woman having the right over her own body. But that ain't her body. That's another body inside her body. She doesn't have a right over another body. She only has a right over her body. You want to kill yourself, that's a different subject. You want to kill that baby, different subject. That's a different human. The idea that we do this and that the church embraces this Guys, we are getting so watered down and so watered down to the point where that we have church leaders that are saying abortion is okay. And, and, and I, it is not. It is not. And we cannot compromise on that. It doesn't matter whether it makes people uncomfortable or not. These are babies. 
So, they said, who did this? They found out it was Gideon. Bring out your son. The men of the town demanded of Joash, he must die for destroying the altar of Baal. Really? That's a pretty strong sentence for destroying a little thing made out of rocks to a false god. He's going to die for this. This is how serious they are. And so, um, Joash shouted back to the mob, why are you, def- why are you defending Baal? Will you argue this case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If Baal is truly God, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down his altar. I love that answer. If Baal's really that upset about it, let him deal with it. Let him take care of it. It, It's the same way. I actually look at the same way in Christianity. People say, well, people should be punished for breaking God's laws. By God. Now, there's man's laws, too, that we have in place. You rob a bank, you go to jail. Get that. But, But... when we're talking about the laws of God, let God defend them. I really have no problem with that. God will hold people accountable for this kind of stuff. He will. The difference is, he's, a mentality like Baal where he's just going to drop somebody dead for tearing up an altar, that makes no sense. God's not going to do that. God is a graceful, merciful God, but there is something called the judgment, and it will happen. And he's going to hold every human that's ever lived accountable. Let God defend himself. I'm, I'm very much comfortable with that. They, some basic things here the family does. One of the, one of the basic things. And I, and I do believe that there's times when you do have to stand up. As a family, you've got to stand up. You've got to do the right thing. But I think this is a lot more better mentality is just doing this consistently, consistently day in, day out kind of thing. Okay? The reason that it got to the point where Gideon had to go and tear down his father's altars and do all this other kind of stuff is because nobody had been doing what they were supposed to be doing for a long time. There wasn't this consistent thing going on. That's, to me, the, the reason I picked this story is, to me, that's where we are as a society right now. Now we've got all these altars. We're going to have to go tear them down. If, if the church would have been doing what it's supposed to be doing and standing up the way it was supposed to be for such a long time, we, we would, there wouldn't, the altars wouldn't have been built. Okay? If, if, if the Jewish people would have been serving God and Gideon's family had been serving God, God's father would not have ever built the altars in the first place which means they wouldn't have been marauded and attacked and, and had all these guys taking their crops and raping and all this other stuff because they would have been serving God. God would have been close to them. God would have been protecting them, and all this stuff wouldn't have happened. That's the opening part of the story with Gideon. Gideon says the reason that this, I mean, God says to Gideon, the reason this is happening is because you've rejected me. So we've got that, that, that um, where we are as a culture, the reason we're going to have to take some strong stands is because we haven't been doing the daily stands. For a long time now. The first thing the family does is it attacks selfishness. We understand that. Um, this is something, this is not, a, this is not a, a critique or anything. This is just an observation, okay? Don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say. Um, <clears throat> today's is how we're seeing a lot more families that have just one child. I don't think that's bad. But it's almost like they have one child and they're like, I can't do this anymore. This is too overwhelming. One was too difficult. Right? And that's the conversation I have with young parents. I just, we're not doing, we can't, we can't, (laughs) you know, that kind of thing. Um, Here's what happens. I don't think it's bad to have one child, but I do know uh, oftentimes there's certain things that a one-child family doesn't learn that multiple children families learn, right? You guys understand this. Uh, The fact that you aren't the only thing on the planet (laughs) can can be learned differently when there's more than one child. Uh, Selfishness, lack of selfishness, you know, um, having to share, that's a basic thing. You can always tell when you, get, when you kids first start school when they've only been one child. Sharing becomes a major challenge that's not the case with multiple children families. But there's certain things that come along with this. You add like 10, 12 kids in there, they, it's, at that point it's past sharing and it's like survival of the fittest, right? You know, it, there, is a, there is a moment when that changes. But uh, just literally breaking down the kingdom of self Having, having three or four kids around break down the kingdom of self. And you don't have options anymore. You have, you have to learn certain things. There has to be a less selfish mentality. Or at least faking it good enough. Right? Family also establishes a stronger morality. It just does. I've talked about my son and some of this stuff that he's learning. And having a child, he's learning morality. I mean, he already knew it. I don't think he's learning. That's not the right way to say it. He's not learning morality, but now it becomes a priority to him. All of a sudden, morality is a big deal. We had this guy, years ago I was a youth pastor, and he, he, had, he was the uh, gang leader in that area. It was, um, 
uh, Hell's Angels gang in, in uh, East Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas area. And he was like a, a major captain in this, in this group. And he got saved. And he starts coming to our church. And he had a couple little kids. And he, it, was, it, it was well known. He, he talked to me about this. He, that he had, he had told people if anybody had like a six or seven-year-old daughter, if anybody ever touched his daughter, he would kill them. That was... Now as a Christian, he says, well, what do I do about that? And I said, you don't say that out loud. Right? Right? Fathers, are, we, are, you, are you with me? You're like, yeah, you shouldn't say it out loud. It's still here, but you shouldn't say it out loud. Right? There's something about that morality kind of mentality. We understand. You start having children, you start looking at things differently. You start looking at, at obedience differently. You start looking at respect differently. Right? I'll tell you something that happened to me this morning. It damaged me. I came in here. I didn't have green on. I have a green sticker over there. I stuck to me. I didn't have any green on this morning. I walked in, all these kids come up and start pinching me. <laughs> so I put a green sticker on. That's disrespectful. I'm the pastor. I am not a commoner like you guys. It hurt. Um, family also develops a much more co- consistent understanding of unity, what it means to work together in a team. This isn't really about selfishness or whatever. It's about how do you get things done in, in, a, in an effective manner, cohesive manner. Family does that in ways that other things don't. See? I, I can tell you c- certain things. When I'm looking at hiring somebody to be in a position of a uh, pastoral position in our church, there's certain things that I try to look at and certain things that tell me stuff already. Okay? If, if, a, if, this, if this person has grown up in a ministry context, I know they know certain things. Now, I have to ask them a handful of questions. And I can get to the meat of this. I've been doing it a long time. I can get to the, to the bottom of this fairly quickly. I can ask them three or four questions about ministry and church and how they look at it and tell whether they're beat up and bitter or I want to be a good minister. Right? And those are two very legitimate things when you've grown up in ministry. Okay? Another thing that we see is this is a highlight that jumps out at us. And Lynn and I have talked about this a lot. Uh, when a kid has grown up on the mission field, they're going to be a good minister. Because there's certain things about having to minister in a foreign context and the, and the uh, humility that comes along with that. And the, we're learning to get a, along with other peoples and groups and things like that. Missionary kids make great ministers, assuming they're not beat up and bitter too, but they make great ministers in the long run. Why? Because there's a, there's a context that's different. It's the same thing when you're looking at different people doing different things in society. When you, when you know that people have come from a, a good, healthy family, there's certain things that you can already know about that person, like getting along and, and, and the lack of selfishness and, and a team mentality, unity and things like that. And you take somebody that's been involved with a lot of kids, had a lot of kids in the family, you know that there are certain things specifically with the older ones. They know how to take care of kids. They know how to help the family move along because you don't work well together when you got 10 kids unless those three or four older ones are taking care of the younger ones. Mom and dad can't do it anymore. They're worn out. They're at the foot of the grave. The older kids have to take care of the younger kids. There's certain things we understand. This society is built upon some of this stuff. Here, here's some basic things that I think. We are at a crossroads. I really do believe this. We're at a crossroads, and there's certain things that have to happen. In fact, I think we're behind the eight ball. I think we're behind. But I think we can, we can do this. And even if we can't affect larger change, guys, you can do this with your family, and that's the most important thing. Okay? Number one, we must tear down the altars. To do this, we've got to figure out what the altars are. And that's a little tricky. In fact, somebody at, at the end of uh, first service told me, he said, you should give examples of what some of those altars in our lives are today. There's a specific reason why I don't do that. I've done that before in these kind of messages, but I try to actually shy away from that a little bit. The reason is because if I give a list, whatever I leave off, mentally we can say, well, I guess that's not it. Or you can justify things that I put on the list that maybe God hasn't worked on your heart and spirit about yet. There's just too many many variables. But here's the thing you have to figure out. What are the things that are bringing influence and input into our family? What are the things that we're spending time and energy on? And just assess those. Are they, are they helping in our relationship with God or hurting? Okay? You say, what if they're neutral? I don't know that there really is a neutral thing, so you need to try to assess that. Don't be afraid to push it one way or the other and say, okay, is this helping or hurting our relationship with God? Uh, m- most things that would be neutral, if they're truly neutral, they're probably actually helping your relationship with God as a family or helping in some of these kind of things. 
you'll know when there is a negative influence. You'll know when it's something that we're bowing our life to at some level that's being harmful for us. We just need to tear down some altars. We need to tear down some things. And some of this, parents, some of it is in your mind and your spirit, you've got to say, I've got to stop not doing certain things. Okay, let me give you an example of this. This is going to be as borderline condemning as, as it's going to sound very condemning, but I believe this very strongly. I don't think this is a condemning thing. I think this is scriptural, and I'll show you that at the end. I, I, think, it is, I think parents are not fulfilling their biblical scriptural responsibility if they're not praying with their kids every day. I, I, I really struggle with that mentality. Guys, we're Christians, but we're not talking. I'm saying as a family, we're not talking to our God as a family. We're not doing that. As Christians, are we talking about God with our children every day? Is that something that we're doing or that we're not doing? Somewhere we have to say, wait, I've, this is a priority. This is more important than other things. It's more important than you pray with your kids and watch another rerun of Friends. There's got to be something that we say, hey, this is important enough that we turn some things off or change some things or move some stuff out of our schedule so that we can spend a little bit of time with our kids talking to God, praying, talking to God, and talking about God with our kids. This is, again, it comes back to this thing. The church gets so mad at the school because the school won't let God into schools. Okay, are you letting God into your household and setting the standard for what you would like to see a tiny percentage of in the school? The school is not a religious organization. I don't think we should have to be having all these Bible studies and stuff. I, I think they're good that we do. But if the school just says, we're never going to ever have any of this in the school, that's okay. We're studying the Bible as a family every single day. We're praying together as a family every single day. We don't have to have that in the schools. It would be nice if we did. And by the way, if we back up to the pre previous mentality and the family was doing this all the time at home, it would be in the schools. The reason it's not in the schools is because we stopped doing it in the family decades ago. We've got to be praying at home. We've got to be talking to our kids about God at home because they're getting plenty of stuff out there. That's the altar mentality that I'm talking about. Let's, let's put God first. Let's serve him completely. Let's put him as the priority, and it will affect all the other stuff in life and society and everywhere else. Are we praying with our kids? It almost makes me sound like a bad guy who's condemning us. Okay, let me throw this out here. <clears throat> if you think that's me condemning, I think you missed it a long time ago. You, okay. So the second thing, we cannot let fear stop this. I talked about this a couple weeks ago in, in marriage and some of these other kind of things. Um, I mentioned that I, I don't lose sleep over. I don't care what people think about how I parent my children. I don't. And I don't mean that negatively. I'm not trying to attack. Or, but I don't. I don't care what you think about how I raise my children. There's a handful of people in my life that have spoke to me greatly over the years. Some accountability partners, some mentors that have spoke to me greatly about parenting. One guy in particular, when my, when my well, he's the strongest, actually. When my kids were born, he was standing in the hospital. When my oldest was born, he was standing there. And he used to take our boys when they were little, specifically our oldest, oldest and then as Isaac came along, but he would take them on Saturday nights because we had youth on Saturday nights. And both of his boys, his youngest daughter wasn't in youth yet, but both of his boys were in my youth group. And he said, you take my two boys, and I'll take your two boys. And I thought, you're getting the better end of this deal. <laughs> we joke about this today. His oldest son is the only youth I've ever laid hands on physically, ever, when I was a youth pastor. And I was very polite and calm about it. I just picked him up and carried him to my office and told him if he moved his feet, I was going to knock him out. And then I called his dad. And, uh, and we still joke about it. He's, he's a 38-year-old man now. Got kids. Man, that makes me old. But he always jokes about it. He said, hey, remember, he just said this to me last week. He said, remember my kid's the only one you, you physically laid in? Yes, I remember. I'm sorry. He said, no, he, you should have hit him. You should have knocked him out. <laughs> but he would take my two boys. This guy has spoken in my life. And every single time for probably, oh, 15, more than that, 16, 17 years, every single phone call I would have, he would say to me, and we talk every week. And he would say to me, you, 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 you've got a very small window called parenting. Don't waste the time you have with your kids. Don't waste it. He'd tell me that every single time. Well, those kind of, I have a handful of people that I like speak into my life when it comes to parenting. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't mean that meanly. 
But the reason I'm saying that is because I think you've got to stop caring about what other people think. I think you've got to stop caring what society thinks. I think you've got to stop caring what, what um, politicians think. I think you've got to stop caring what the, the, the school districts think. I think you've got to start caring what God thinks. Put God first in this and let the family be run by God through you, not by somebody else. Part of the reason that we struggle in talking to our kids about certain things is because we're scared to death of what somebody out there is going to think. I, I saw this video today. I was so encouraged by this. I saw this video today. Ben Shapiro, he's a young conservative guy. He's a Jewish guy. He's not Christian. In fact, he believes, I heard him say this out, out of his mouth, um, he believes that Christianity is, is a sham. He believes that people buying into Jesus as being the Messiah is a joke. He's a solid conservative Jewish guy, but I really, I follow this guy. I watch a lot of what he says. He's a solid, solid guy. And I would encourage you to, to get online and see some of what he says too. But he was at the University of Wisconsin, and about 1,000 to 1,500 people in there, and he got up and he said, let me explain this. This is important that we know this. There are only two genders, boys and girls, and that is decided in the womb. And he said it again. There's boys and there's girls, and no matter what you think about it doesn't change that. You can say there are nine genders. It's not true. There are boys and there are girls, and those are decided in the womb. He got a standing ovation, <clears throat> a very, very liberal college called the University of Wisconsin, very liberal university. All of these students are 20, 21-year-olds. He got a standing ovation. You can go online and look it up yourself. Now, what does that tell you? That this, these millennials that are coming up, they're not buying the goofiness anymore. They know it's, even though it's been forced on them, and that seems to be the language of the day and all this other stuff, they're not buying it. They know it's a big joke. Standing ovation for him. Guys, we got to stop letting somebody else tell us how to parent our kids. I think it's very important as parents that you tell your children that the, that the LGBT mentality is wrong. It's harmful. It's sinful. It, it rejects God. It rejects how God made you. And you've got to start verbalizing this stuff. Don't be scared of all of the politicians and pundits out there that say you're a bad person. Now, I know there are some consequences. Nowadays, it's becoming more and more consequences. You can actually be turned into social services. This is part of this House Bill 1032. You can actually be turned into social services by the school district if they, they, you, uh, what's called gender shame. In other words, your boy's a boy. You, he wants to be a girl. If you call him a boy, you can get turned into social services for that. Okay? All right. This, this is the way I look at it. Bring it. That's the way I look at it. See, in my day, when I was raised, my kids were little, the biggest deal was spanking. Nowadays, nobody even talks about that. We so moved past that now. Nobody spanks their kids nowadays. That's why they're all going to prison. <laughs> but my day, it was spanking. You can't spank your kids. You can't. I had this conversation with some school administrators. You want to call social services? You go ahead. You better bring the sheriff and a lawyer and the SWAT team because you can't tell me I can't spank my kids. You do not have that kind of authority. Now, sad part is, is our country is moving to where they are getting that kind of authority. That's the sad part. But guys, parent like God told you, he'll take care of you. Parent like God tells you, he will take care of you. Don't be scared of what everybody else says. And here's a big one about fear, is stop being afraid of your children in this process. Now, I don't mean like scared your child's going to do something, but, but the, the mentality of your child, I'm going to damage my child if I tell him he's a boy. No, you're not. You're going to damage him worse if you don't. You're going to scar that kid for life if you let them play these games with his brain and, and then he starts playing the games. You're going to, you, you literally are going to let some people hurt him. Plus, you've got to be careful of this, and I know this sounds over the top. I know it does. But the people that are encouraging him with, with uh, gender change and mentality like that, I believe those are perverts and pedophiles. They may be masquerading as administrators and politicians, but I believe they're perverts. And they're trying to get an agenda done, and they'll use your kid to do it. You be careful of that stuff. You've got teachers. We've got teachers right here in our, in our church. They're saying, what do I do about this? I don't necessarily know the answer, but I do know at the end of the day, you do what God tells you. You do what God's Word says. You stand for what God... You don't have to be a jerk about it. This is some of the covert kind of mentality. But at the end of the day, you can't be complicit in this stuff. Can't be afraid. You gotta stand up. Don't be afraid of talking to your kids. 
Don't be afraid of talking about the right things. That's something, too. I remember my dad told, came to me and my brother and was going to tell us about birds and the bees. I was like 12 and 13 already. He said, tell me the birds and bees. I was like, Dad, I, I know more than you. Well, let me, let me help you out, specifically some of your parents that your kids are kind of at that age right now. And I, now, let me, let me preface that. I've said this before. You better start around fourth or fifth grade nowadays, okay? Because by fourth or fifth grade, they already know more than you do. You don't think that's true? I wish, I, I wish there was a way I could prove it. The only way you can prove it is actually get them to tell you stuff, but they won't. But they know more than you do in fourth grade. And you, you, you realize that over 50% of all junior high kids are having sex right now. Not like this moment, but right now. <laughs> right, you know that, right? So, so guys, we've we got to be doing, don't be afraid of this. Don't be afraid of talking to your kids. Tell them certain things. Tell them things that are important. Tell them that, they, that if they're a boy, reinforce that. Reinforce masculinity. There is no such thing as it having to be toxic just because it's masculine. Reinforce masculinity. Re reinforce femininity. That's how God designed us. Reinforce this stuff. Reinforce it. Okay? Um, the third thing is the time is now. It's, 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 I believe it's past due. But at, since we can't go backwards, it's now. We've got to do some things. We've got to be interacting. We've got to start today. I would suggest um, families, specifically, if you're, do, if, you're not, if you're not praying with your kids every day, please, please start that. Sit down with your kids and make a plan. Do something. You say, well, my kid's only four years old. Pray with them since then. We started praying with our kids in the womb. I would do that. It's a weird picture in my head now, but I would, I would pray. I would put my, my face on Linda's belly and pray for my kids. I would. I figured, what well, can it hurt? Right? The moment they're born, start praying for them. Praying with them. They need to grow up hearing mom and dad's voice talking to their God. They need to hear that. The time is now. Set some rules. Set some parameters. Do some things differently. Figure out a way to do this. It's got to happen. Lead your children forward. Some of the things you have to do as parents, they don't appreciate at the time, but they will eventually. I thought this many times with my kids. Is specifically, you know, those early teenage, teenage years, you're thinking to yourself, every time you do something, your kids hate you for it, right? You make a rule, they hate you. You do this, they hate you. But eventually, they get it. Eventually, they get it, and they come back. Let me, let me do this. Let me, let me ask this. How many of you parents, that after your kids got older, they said something along the lines of thank you? Do you, do you some, of you, some of you that are parents and teenagers are like, okay. I can do it then. I don't know. I don't. Trust. I am at that stage. Now, now, now all three of my kids are kind of good about this. They, they, they give me appreciation uh, wrapped up in sarcasm. But, they, <clears throat> but, but my children do this. And my son, my oldest, is. I can, he doesn't even have to say it. When he says things like, well, Dad, we're going to do this with Eloise. I'm like, that came from me. I said that. I said, now, he don't even get it sometimes. He's like, yeah, Dad, you're never going to believe this. Lynn and I talk about this all the time. He'll call us up. Hey, uh, you're not going to believe this. I saw this, and I was thinking about this. And we're like, I told you that when you were six. Like it's brand new. But either way, it works. Hang in there. Parents of teenagers, trust that when they're 25 or 30, they're going to get it. They're going to get it. Okay? Higher education, public schools. Here's a big one. I've had a lot of conversations, a lot, over the last three weeks to four weeks with parents that are saying, I'm pulling my kids out of public schools and charter schools if this law goes through. Okay, so here's my deal with that. First, I, I have to be honest, I can't be critical of that. Because at the end of the day, your primary responsibility is for your child. Okay, that's your primary responsibility. So I get that. Um, a, a lot of them are saying, okay, well, I'm gonna, you know, I'll do homeschool. I, I've talked to three people. One, this in, one of them is in this building. I've talked to three people that are saying, we're moving to the, another country. They're serious. They have the ability to do it. They, their background is from another country. They can do it. I don't disagree with that. I'm thinking to myself, if my kid's five years old and I'm about to enter them in the school system. See, Lynn and I had this conversation when our kids, when, when, when Jonathan was about to start school. Isaac's still two, three years old. Jonathan's about to start uh, kindergarten. We had this discussion. Should we homeschool? 
Should we not homeschool? Okay? We came from Texas. Texas is much more conservative school system than Colorado. You, you don't see it if you've been here all your life. This was already, this was 21 years ago. We're having this conversation. It was, it was already way liberal for us way back in those days. And I would take that now. When we began to discuss, and my parents are educators. Both my parents are educators. You know what that means? We were, we were talking the voice of Satan. Homeschool from two educators? Your kids are just going to be stupid. I'm like, thanks, thanks. Because that's, we're homeschool. So is that, uh? so either way, your kids are just going to be stupid. They're going to be so mal, emotionally malnourished. Or whatever. That stuff's not true, okay? Sometimes it is, but for the most part, it's not. But the same thing can happen in public school. But we had this discussion, do we do this? Do we do this? Should we do this? And we came to the conclusion that we're going to send them to public school. Now, here's the thing. I do not think there's anything wrong with homeschooling. In fact, I'm a big supporter of that. I'm a big supporter of charter schools. But this House bill is including charter schools. So families are saying, we're just going to pull our kids out. I totally get that because your primary responsibility is to your child. But here's something you might want to think about. If you pull all of the Christians out of public school, what's left in public school? Are we, are we just going to throw it to the dogs? I mean, you've got a handful of teachers in that are Christians trying to push back the tide. You understand teachers are very much more limited than students are. Okay? Linda and I talked about this a lot. and We spent a lot of time praying about this, and we decided we were going to take the different route. We were going to send our kids to public school and then pray for them every day talk to them about Jesus every day and make them missionaries in the school. And you say, well, I'm not willing to sacrifice my child for that. I totally understand that, but I don't think we did. See, when I say pray for your kids every day, we were serious about that. We didn't play around with that. Why? Because I did see them as going into the lion's den, and we weren't going to play around with this. And it got to the point where um, the kids would invite their friends over. We had Taco Tuesdays. They would invite their friends over so they could sit around the kitchen table so we could talk to them about Jesus. We prayed with their friends. Now, the, the thing is, I really wasn't doing the work. They thought it was. They were doing all the work. We were just, you know, the authority figures or whatever. But they were invited. They, they, you'd, you'd be amazed at how many times sitting at our dinner table, there was a couple Mormons and one atheist girl, very strong atheist, very strong. In fact, we started to pray. I'll tell you this because it's funny. We started to pray one time, and one of the Mormon, my, my, I don't remember his Jonathan Isaac's friend, I don't remember which one, but one of our friends, one of their friends was Mormon. And um, he was scared to death. He had showed up about a month and a half before. He was scared to death when we started praying what, what it was going to look like. Mormons get told all kinds of crazy things about what happens in our churches. And um, so when he started, we started praying. We, we all uh, started praying out loud, real loud. And, and, and I think we all grabbed hands or something at that time. And then we all raised our hands, <laughs> you know, just to make him comfortable. But... Uh, so then he couldn't wait when his friend, the atheist girl, was coming over for, for dinner about a month later. He couldn't wait. You could tell he was waiting for prayer time because this girl was scared to death to be there. And so he said, we should all pray. This is a Mormon sitting at my kitchen table saying, we should all pray, right? We're going to pray for dinner? I was like, I guess we should pray. He says, okay, let's pray. And he throws his hands up like this. <laughs> and you could tell this atheist girl was like, but she didn't take off running. She wanted to. And you see, dig over. But here's the thing: is we enjoyed talking about God around our Christian, uh, around our dinner table, talking about Christianity, talking about who Jesus is, because He's important to us. It's not a religion that we have; it's He's important to us. And uh, sometimes my kids were cool with it; sometimes they weren't. But most of the time, they liked it when mom and dad talked to their friends about Jesus. As I sent my kids into the schools to be missionaries, it worked sometimes. It didn't sometimes. Sometimes my kids got caught up in the machine. Sometimes they gave in to peer pressure. And sometimes they were great missionaries, all right? I don't think it's necessarily sacrificing your kids to send them to public school. It's just my thinking. We have a small window. It's called family. Family in the home. Kids become adults. Adults become married. Married become parents. Parents become parents of teens. That's a whole separate category. Then you got emptiness. Adults become seniors. And that all happens within about 60 to 80 years. You don't have a big window for the different seasons of life. You got to be proactive. But what you have. Let me finish it with this, Deuteronomy 11. This is the mentality we had as we were developing our children as they were going into public school. 
Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18. So commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands, wear them on your forehead as reminders. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. That's all the time. Talk to your kids about Jesus all the time. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be this over-religious stuff. Even some of the things about talking to them about uh, uh, homosexuality and stuff like that. You're, you're not teaching your kids to not like homosexuals. You're teaching them to love them more than, the, than society does. Society is okay with them destroying their life. You should love them more. You should love them to Jesus. Hate, hate homosexuality, but don't hate the person. The person needs Jesus. Teach your children to love people that are going through this stuff. Teach, people, teach your children to love kids that are struggling with gender issues. Teach them to love them and speak truth into their life. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates as long, so that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish in the land the Lord swore to give your answers. So be careful to obey all these commands I'm giving you. Show love to the Lord your God by walking his ways and holding tightly to them. Jump down to verse 26. Look, today I'm giving you the choice between a blessing and a curse. You will be blessed if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. You will be cursed if you reject the commands of the Lord your God and turn away from them. Because this is, this is important. Again, I came from a house of educators, and so this is almost horrible speak from, from my past. I didn't put a lot of emphasis on making sure that my kids did all the academic stuff and made all the good grades and all this stuff. I was not allowed to make one B. If I made one B, I was grounded from everything in my life for six weeks until that B came up. If I made one B, I couldn't talk on the phone, I couldn't watch TV, I couldn't go outside the house, I could go to my room every evening, that was it. One B. I, I don't believe in that kind of mentality. Because why? I believe, I believe in education, I do. But I also know that education is one of the many things out there. And I think in society we have put too much emphasis on education. Let me give you something I think very strongly. You, you decide whether this happens. You can judge me on this in 10 years. But I believe in about 10, within the next 10 years, we're going to see higher education continue to slide and decline. And it'll be half as what it is as it is today. I believe college degrees are going by the way of uh, it's, it's, it's disappearing. I don't think it's going to be important like it is now. Ten years from now, it'll be about 50% important, as you see right now. And I think there's a bunch of reasons. But one of the reasons is because they're not, uh, they're not places of learning anymore. They're places of indoctrination. That's the biggest reason. And I just sat uh, two weeks ago with Vice President of Alumni Relations for the Oklahoma University Sooners. And he said, and I believe this, that higher education is on the cusp of pricing out the middle class. You take those two things and go on getting a, a diesel mechanic understanding and making 80000 a year doing that is better than going to university and making 40000 a year with a $150,000 debt. And so I think that's going away. That's just me, okay? But I really believe the biggest reason is we're tired of being indoctrinated, and that's what's happening at universities. We've got to take a stand and say something has got to change. Something's got to change. Why don't you stand with me? Prayer partners, why don't you come up here? This is what I'd like to do. We're going to do this more in the future, as, as Sam was saying. We're going to have prayer partners more at the end of service. Um, I'd like to have some times also where we're, we're, where we're doing this, is where we're going to have some times of prayer, where I'll end a few 10 minutes, 15 minutes early, and we just spend some time praying. We've been talking about this a lot more around here. I think we need this more. I do like prayer partners during the middle of service, but I think there's something important about this. Okay? So here's what I want to put the emphasis on praying about today. This is the emphasis, is parents with children in the household. Parents with children in the household, I, I would like for you to have somebody pray with you before you leave today, okay? It's my suggestion. You don't have to. And some of our prayer partners, none of these up here, some of our prayer partners, raise your hands, Pat and Patty. Some of our prayer partners have children that have already left the home. They're empty nesters. They can pray with deep understanding. <laughs> Guys, let's pray for each other. Let's pray for our families. Let's pray for our kids. And specifically, parents of younger children, please Please have somebody pray with you before you leave. Even if it's just somebody standing beside you in the seats. But, um, and then all the other needs that we normally be praying for, physical needs or relational needs or financial, whatever's going on in your world, take a few minutes. Uh, Sam's going to be singing, playing. Take a few minutes before you just rush out of here and have somebody pray with you about something. Let me close it by praying, okay? God, we, we commit ourselves to you. Lord, as a parent, I commit myself to you. 
Lord, I thank you that you gave me three great kids. Lord, I am forever a better person because of this. I know it. Lord, you're blessing so many people around here with children. And now, God, we're better people for it. So help us to follow you in these endeavors. And Lord, I do pray that you convict every one of us. We've got to be praying with our kids. Lord, I know that that is from you that I'm saying that. So God, just push that into our world. And I pray for our young families. I pray for these kids that are, that are just now being born and, 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 and going to be expected to grow up in this, this society. Lord, we need your help. These parents, Lord, I know they can do it. I know these parents can do it. I know they can, but God, they're going to need your help. They're going to need supernatural help. So Lord, we pray that. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name, cover us with your blood, Jesus. Draw us in close to you and give us the ability that we need to do what you called us to do. In Jesus' name.